Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today once again for an interview episode. You know we love bringing you these interviews. We've brought you plenty of good ones so far, and we've got another good one. Not just a good one, a great one today, because we are getting our second taste of the sport of beach volleyball with another Olympic medalist, a recently returning Olympic medalist, one half of the Australian duo that got a silver medal at the Tokyo Olympic Games. Marife Atasho Del Solar, of course, teamed up with Taliqua Clancy to win that silver medal there in Tokyo. And this is a fun chat. We learn a little bit about her previous Olympic experience in Rio, of course, competed back there. Sort of how and her how her and Taliqua got together and sort of what that led to, and everything else around the performance at Tokyo, what it means to become an Olympic silver medalist, the quarterfinal, of course, that uh, we so well covered on this show when regards to uh, Australia versus Canada and everything else in between. This is a fun chat that I know you are going to enjoy. So without further ado, here is our chat with Olympic silver medalist from the sport of beach volleyball, Maria Faye Atasho Del Solar. So, so excited to be able to welcome our next guest here to Off the Podium, a two-time Olympian recently returned from Tokyo with a nice piece of jewellery around her neck. She is one half of the beach volleyball pair that took a silver medal for Australia in Tokyo and so excited to be able to learn a little bit more about her time in Tokyo and everything else in between. Please welcome off the podium, Marife Atacho Del Solar. Marife, first of all, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on off the podium today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I'm impressed by how you pronounce my name. That was actually pretty good. I, I'm going to also, I'm, I'm being very honest with you this morning. I was just honest with you off air and I'm going to be honest with you on air right now. I may have written it down yesterday phonetically and have been practicing it for the last 24 hours because I had, during our coverage, when we were talking about you and Taliqua's uh, performances, I butchered it every single day. So don't listen to our Tokyo coverage from the second week and you'll, you'll still like me for what I just pronounced your name. Nah, you did pretty well. So well done. It's obviously been a couple of weeks. You're you're in quarantine. I don't want to talk to you about that. That's boring. Uh, I mean, how is it to be still referred to as an Olympic medalist? Is it something you you've gotten used to yet? Is it something you just want everybody as soon as you walk into a room to go Olympic medalist, Marifa? <laughs> here she is. <laughs> well, to be honest, it actually hasn't sunk in yet because we went from such a high to being locked up in a room for two weeks. So once one, it feels that this happened so long ago and we actually haven't felt like we celebrated properly. So we like, I personally don't feel like 
it's real yet anyway. So I hope once we get out, it will sink in and make it feel a little bit more real. This is an interesting way to ask this question because I always ask our medalist guests what they do with the medal. And given that you, again, you're in quarantine, it's, I mean, I'm guessing is it just still in its, its box, in its suitcase? Do you have it somewhere nah. that can motivate you? or <laughs> It moves places. Sometimes I have it here on this table, depending on, like, who I just finished doing a podcast or an interview or a Zoom with. Um, but, yeah, it moves from – I've got the executive room, the executive wow. suite here at the Stanford. I'm – I'm so grateful. So I've got so much space. So it goes from my bedroom to my bedside table um, to the dine, like the lounge area to the couch. Like it moves around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually honestly surprised you're not wearing it because I often would ask like once you've won it, you wouldn't want to take it off. And I just think given it's so fresh in the mind, you're kind of probably a bit bored there in quarantine. You want to always wear it because at least that would keep you entertained. <laughs> yeah, look, you're not wrong. But like, I don't know, this is just a little bit like I said so anticlimactic and uh, I just can't wait to get out because I just want to be able to like I said feel it like it's actually happened and be able to celebrate with our family and friends because obviously we weren't allowed to have them in Tokyo with us um so yeah I just then I reckon once I get out I probably won't take it off (laughs) did did, I mean you got in the executive suite I'm guessing probably Qantas maybe up fronted a little bit there you got a bit of a you know an upgrade in the point in the plan but I mean can you get given the the weird situations it might not be something you've been able to do yet but were you able to get free stuff could you wear the silver medal with you and Talika and sort of walk around the village and get maybe a bit of a bump up in the line when you're lining up for the food I mean does it does it work any favors yet Oh, well, I mean, in the village, you're kind of surrounded by all this gold, silver and bronze medalists. So you're not the only ones that are VIP in that kind of (laughs) um, sense. But um, no, I mean, we did wear it in the closing ceremony and we had it with us in the plane. So um, all the Qantas crew were loving it. And um, yeah, we we wore it as much as we could before we got locked up in here. The one thing that uh, I've been fascinated about speaking to some returning Tokyo Olympians, the ones who particularly competed in Rio, it's kind of that, I guess, the disparity between the different types of games because everybody went into Rio thinking these are going to be really weird games, these maybe aren't going to be the standard Olympics, they're going to be a bit different. Fast forward five years later and no one could have ever imagined what Tokyo was going to be like. But sort of just looking back on your Rio experience to your Tokyo experience, were you glad that you were sort of at least able to experience your first Olympics as being a normal quote games where you had crowds you had sort of more of that village atmosphere I'm sure you're able to do a lot more than you were able to do to Tokyo and then compare that to your Tokyo experience because we're, we're speaking that a lot of our debutants in Tokyo obviously they don't know any different but it's obviously going to be a little bit of a different experience compared to your first Olympics that you had in Rio um yeah for sure I mean to- uh, Rio was a really great experience it was cool to um be like get to know what the Olympics is like and be surrounded by all these incredible athletes and really um, realise what, you know, it really takes to be on top of the podium and that really motivated me to come back home and treat the next Olympics being Tokyo as business time for me. So I guess it did help that I already had, and well, both of us had already been to one and we knew what to expect. Um, and we obviously knew that Tokyo was going to be a very unique experience Um but despite not having a crowd, for me, I didn't really feel it any different. Um, I didn't notice the difference. I went into this Olympics with, like, a mission. I, I was so focused and I had a goal and, like, I didn't really 
notice anything else. But when I was on court, I was there to do my job. Um, so I didn't really realise the difference, to be honest. When I think of beach volleyball and, and the beach in general, I mean, the two countries that always come to mind are Brazil and Australia. So it sort of, it always fits very well. So w- was there at least with that, that sort of atmosphere in, in Brazil on sort of Copacabana Beach and kind of, you know, that uniqueness that it had, obviously Sydney had it on Bondi, kind of, you know, had that atmosphere. But I mean, with everything you're saying aside, I mean, I, I can imagine that of all the places you've competed in the world, that that was one of the most unique ones to be able to, not only in Olympics, but, you know, Copacabana Beach in Brazil. I mean, that's sort of a, a dream I can imagine for any beach volleyball player. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Brazil, volleyball and football is like a religion over there. So it was definitely a huge event. The crowd was just on fire. The energy was pumping. The atmosphere was insane. So it was definitely... Um, something I'll never forget, walking out into that epic stadium. Um, and I might be biased, but beach volleyball is always the best event and the best venue at all the Olympics. Like Tokyo, the stadium was incredible. It would have been super cool to have it packed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, regardless, it was still an awesome event and um, everyone did such an amazing job to make it feel not so like different i guess <laughs> well i was going to ask about that because we loved sort of watching it and that you still had the dj you still kind of had everything there yeah. that you would have generally in that and that obviously helps you you out on the court i'm sure you and talika and all the other players because you're so used to that atmosphere you're so used to the sort of the pump up nature of it so do you sort of appreciate that the organizers there in tokyo still went out of their way that even though there were no crowds they're making everything else i guess as normal as possible yeah, I mean, what the, that's what beach volleyball is all about, you know. The crowd gets involved, the music's always pumping, the DJ's um, getting all the people involved as well, and it's like a huge party. Um, but like I said before, once I kind of was in the court, I didn't even notice the music. Like everything around me just became white noise. So, um, yeah, it it's kind of, yeah, that's why I mean like it didn't really, I didn't even notice that there was no crowd. We, we spoke with Kerry Pothas several weeks ago and sort of talked about her journey and kind of uh, how she got into the sport and everything on those lines. But I'd, I'd love to sort of hear the story about how you and Taliqua came to be because you didn't compete with Taliqua in Rio. You both competed but were in separate partnerships. So sort of what brought about you two coming together and was it maybe the best decision that ultimately ever happened to you? Because here you are as uh, Olympic silver medalist, Commonwealth Games silver medalist, world championship. I mean, it's obviously worked very effectively since you have come together. Yeah, T and I actually played a junior world championships back in 2012 where we won bronze and we knew that we had something special. We had a unique connection um, and it's not something that comes very natural with any partnership. So we knew we had something there, but it wasn't meant to be at that time and we both went our separate ways with different partners and then the opportunity came um, to team up in the end of 2017 um, again. So we obviously took it and we thought it was um, a great time for us to um, get back together as a team. And we won our first three international events. So we obviously knew again that the connection was still there and it was just a natural, unique, um, you know, I guess, yeah, like connection, like I keep saying. Um, and it just makes it so much easier on court because you're able to do all these plays and all this stuff. You're on the same page, you're on the same, you've got the same goals. So I think that's a really big factor of why we're such a successful team. Um, like I said, it's not something that happens naturally with anyone. So to have that, you've got to make the most of it. 
I enjoyed sort of with Kerry, she was talking a lot about that mental preparation in the lead up to, to Sydney and kind of on your, what you're talking about there with Taliqua. I mean, do you sort of go out of your way to work on that mental preparation? Did you speak to someone like Kerry and Nat sort of and, and get sort of some tips about what it's like going into an Olympics to, I guess, work on that mental conditioning so you can perform on the big stage and, and go for the medals that ultimately you were aiming for? Oh, yeah. I mean, the mental and emotional side of the game is almost more important than the physical side of things because if your mind is in a good place, then the physical stuff just comes. Um, you know, everyone at that level is talented. Everyone is a great player. So it's it's a matter of who can mentally um, stay in it for longer and stay stronger for longer and, you know, be able to perform under pressure and after, um, under really – um, yeah, pressure situations. So, yeah, it's a big part of our game and we work a lot with the psych. We work a lot of um, on that kind of stuff. And, yeah, Nat has actually been a big part of our of our team um, in the last few months, especially just sharing her experience and, um, you know, kind of reassuring us that we're on the right path and all that stuff. Going into Tokyo, was it gold? or nothing was it kind of that was the ultimate goal like obviously over here in olympians is to walk away with a gold medal but kind of both both that you had an olympics behind you you had such success in the preceding years where was it going in going okay we've got this we can come away with a gold medal yeah for sure i mean our goal since we teamed up right at the start was to walk to um have an olympic medal by the end of our campaign but then as we started you know competing and um making semi-finals every event we were we we thought, well, we're actually more than capable of achieving a gold medal at Tokyo. So we're like, why not? Like, let's go for gold. Um, and that has been our goal, yeah, since we set our values and our teams. And we actually ticked off every single goal that we put ourselves for this Olympic campaign in the last um, three years. And, yeah, the last one to tick was the gold medal. But, you know, regardless um, of the colour of the medal, um, we're still super proud of our team and what we were able to achieve under all the circumstances and all the adversity that we had to go through. Was the year delay for the pair of you uh, a hindrance or a help? Because of sort of hearing, you know, varying answers with this one that it, it's helped a lot of people. But then on the flip side, had it gone ahead in 2020 that maybe you were peaking very well at that stage and it, it might have been a similar, if maybe slightly better result? Um, no, I think it was in a way an advantage because we had that extra year to prepare. Well, it, it brought its cons and pros about it. We had an extra year to prepare and really work on the technical things and all that. Um, and, you know, we are, we're both young. We, as a team, we're also very young. So um, for us, that was an advantage. But at the same time, it did brought a lot of, you know, we weren't allowed to um, play any events internationally. So preparation-wise, it wasn't probably ideal because – um, last year we would have kind of got had that rhythm from coming from lots of events, but this year obviously we played nothing last year, and then this year we only played um, three events in Mexico that that early this year, whereas all the rest of the world played every single event. Um, so that obviously had a little bit of, um, I guess, extra thought in our minds going into the Tokyo, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it was something we couldn't control. It, it is what it is, and we just had to put our focus on the things we could control, and that was what we did out there on the court. Um, and again, like we were, we knew we were confident going in um, that we were capable of getting a medal. So, um, yeah. On that page of the disadvantage of not being able to play as much as you usually would, 
Is there a weird advantage that some of the other teams out there that are playing more than you're able to, they're a bit going into any match with you is a bit of unknown. They haven't seen you much in the last year. They don't know where you're at in terms of your performance. They don't probably sit down on YouTube and, you know, get secret tapes from Australia to find out how you're going. So can you kind of, even if it's a mental advantage, thinking that, hey, well, they don't know how good we are. They don't know how much we've been working our butts off in the last 12 months since they last saw us. So uh, they have no idea what they're about to face. Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, and we did make huge improvements and progress in that year for our team. So I think, um, uh, yeah, I mean, every team would have, I guess we, we didn't really change too much our game style, but we just deliver it better. Um, and I guess that would have, yeah, put a lot of, a lot more pressure on other teams to be able to keep up because we do play a very physical game. We use the whole net along where we, we don't tend to play that up and down game. Um, so yeah, I know a lot of teams don't like playing against us because it could be very tiring. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's again, another, um, strength of our team. Which I love hearing that in terms of the different styles of play that you can get from the teams. And you mentioned sort of before about kind of working through, uh, the mental side, the strategic side and that sort of stuff. How, how quickly do you have to adapt to a strategy in a match of beach volleyball in a tournament like the Olympics? I mean, I'm sure you go into every single match going, okay, this is our opponents. This is what they're like. This is what we're going to do. But of course you have to adapt if halfway through the first set, you're finding yourself down and where you're not being. I mean, how quick of an adapt an adaptation sport is beach volleyball that you have to quickly overcome that strategy? Oh, yeah. I mean, very quickly. You always go, I mean, we play against all these teams all year round. So we know each other's game very well. Um, but yeah, you always have an, an idea of the tendencies and what they do, but you know, they could go and completely do something else. So you always kind of have to make sure you focus on what you're doing at the end of the day. But yeah, if it's, if you go in with plan A and plan A is not working, you have to be very flexible and be able to um, be aware, like have this awareness, okay, that's not working. We definitely have to change something. And sometimes you're not in that mental space where you are able to quickly figure something out, but other times you are. So sometimes you walk away from games and be like, oh, like just couldn't figure it out. Like the game ran away from us. But then other times we're like, straight away on it and we're able to flip the game around. Um, so I guess, yeah, it comes with a lot of experience as well and be able to, um, regardless of what's going on in the score, have that mental calmness and composure to be able to still be aware of what's going on and what you're able to do next if it's if something's not working. Do, do you have, and you don't have to share this if you don't want to, because obviously I'm going to ask the question, do you have a secret? Clearly you don't want to share that if you don't want to, but do you have sort of a secret kind of mental preparation that maybe either before a match or sort of in the lead up you like to do, you know, maybe putting on the pods, listening to some tunes, you know, reading a book, like doing some yoga. I mean, kind of what sort of that routine to really get that mental preparation ready before a match? Uh, yeah, I like to do uh, meditation um, just to get myself in balance and in that calm mental space um and sometimes i listen to music i don't really have that much of a strict routine sometimes i listen to music to get myself pumped up but sometimes i just like to be present and um you know just in the moment of what's going around me um so yeah i don't really have a set routine but we're both different everyone's different you know everyone requires their own preparation and their own way of getting ready I've got to ask then, if you are listening to the tunes, Marie Faye, what are you listening to? What's on the pods? What are you What are you jamming out to? <laughs> a bit of a mix, really. Sometimes, like, I love um, Bets of Tokyo and sometimes I love Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift. Nice. Um, 
a very mix of, of music. It actually makes me happy when people flat out say, yeah, I listen to the Beebs because I feel we're coming around on Beebs. Ten years ago, you would never say that in public. Now, own that shit. Like, just listen know, to him right? and there's nothing wrong with it, is there? He's great. Yeah. It works. And one thing actually on there, kind of on a tangent with Beebs, but it's Canadian and everything along those lines. We're, we're co-hosted by a, a Canadian and we were, I believe, on air during your quarterfinal. And, of course, Colin, you know, Canada, they know their metal hopes probably a little bit more out there because they maybe don't have as many in a summer during, than a winter. So they're talking up like, oh, Sarah Melissa, yeah, this is, this is a lock. We've got a gold here. Like, this is just on a journey. Obviously didn't work out too well, and I don't know if he's still recovered uh, from that. But obviously when you go on your way to win an Olympic medal, you you want to go out there and beat the best. So to knock off the world champions in a quarterfinal, I mean, that's a pretty good feeling, Marie. <laughs> you, you, I can imagine after that match that you and Taliga are just going, okay, wow, well, this is this is, this is is happening. We, we did that, and now look how close we are to that gold. Um, yeah, look, it's really interesting because we're such good friends with those girls. We train all the time together. We had a training camp right before Tokyo with them in Switzerland. And Mel is one of my best friends. Um, you know, I think she's one of the best players in the world. Um, you know, she's just a beautiful girl. And we knew it was going to be a hard battle. We knew it was going to be one of our biggest game. I mean, that game was definitely a goal-worthy match. Um and, yeah, it was a pity that we came up against them early in the tournament. But, I mean, to be the best, you got to beat the best. So, um, yeah, I think it was just a high-quality game by all four players. Um, and it was a great game to be a part of, to be honest. When you win the semi-final, of course, that guarantees you a medal. So you go into that final match knowing, well, we've achieved the goal of winning an Olympic medal. And, of course, you go into that wanting to win a gold. But... How does that mentality affect in some way knowing that I've at least got a medal? Because, again, you don't want to lose. I realise that. You don't want to lose. But I can imagine it's a different mentality to when you, say, go into a bronze medal match at the World Championships because that's win or nothing. You've got to win to get a medal. Whereas this time around, it's, well, if we don't win, at least we get a medal. I mean, does that play on your mind much or do you just block that out? And coming fourth is worse. I'd rather come fifth because you have to play two more games and you lose five. So it's like, nah, I'll take the fifth (laughs) over the fourth. Um, But, yeah, I mean, winning that semifinal definitely is a sense of relief. Um, and knowing that you're just one more game away from that gold medal. So sometimes you could treat it as, okay, like we're on the podium, let's just play free, let's just enjoy it and have fun. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, like obviously it wasn't our day at the Olympics and um, we, like the first couple of points we started well and then we had some opportunities to, you know, really made that little bit of a break and we just didn't take that aggressive opportunity and then they felt in rhythm. Um, so, and, and with that team, you know, they're a great team and we've come up against them quite often and we're always kind of one for one. Um, so, you know, we had to make sure we really came aggressive right from the start and um, they got in a rhythm and it's just, you know, it was a bit harder to cut, um, catch up, but, um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It is kind of a little bit of relief, I guess, when when you're already in the final and you know you've got a medal. Um, but yeah, you always you always want to win it on a end it on a win. You always want to win, but in the that it's what that weird sort of um, situation yeah. you're in that by losing your. I mean, 
you two still looked incredibly happy. And that's what that's what I really appreciated about watching that because you watch it like as a fan, like, ah, oh, damn, not gold. But then you kind of forget that with forgetting it with you two because then all of a sudden you're on the podium, you're beaming, you're smiling, you've got that Olympic medal around your neck and obviously the disappointment's there, but you're still so happy. And that's, that's what I love about the Olympics is when you still see kind of this celebration and happiness that you haven't achieved that ultimate, ultimate goal of gold, but you're still obviously satisfied that you're walking away from a tournament with an Olympic medal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's every athlete's dream to have an Olympic medal around your neck. Despite what color it is, it's a huge achievement to be standing on top of the podium, you know, um, representing your country. You work for so long, so many years. Um, and sometimes, you know, some athletes take two Olympics, three Olympics to get a medal. So for us to have achieved a medal and a gold, like, you know, to be able to play in a gold medal match at the Olympic Games, um, it was such a huge achievement, especially for um, with all the adversity and um, everything that was going on. So, um, yeah, you know, you're a little bit upset straight away because you end up on a loss, but then you're like, okay, this is actually a pretty big deal. So you, we were still really proud. And on that big deal, just for the sport itself, I mean, it, it absolutely baffled me to think that it had been 21 years since Australia had won an Olympic medal in the sport of beach volleyball. This is, again, my point with beaches. Like, this is a sport I feel we should be medalling at every Olympics because it's so quintessential with Australia. Right? So that I must have been know. a proud achievement to break that duck and come home with a medal for the sport as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're such a beachy and sporty culture and beach volleyball just suits us so well that it is a shame that it's not – the you know a bigger sport here in Australia but that's that's one of our aims to grow the sport here and get all the girls and boys trying it and giving it a go um because it's so popular and so big around the world um and it's such a great sport you know so yeah it's definitely one of our aims to make it a bigger um sport here and I think we had that impact in the Olympics. We had a lot of messages from people being like, I actually never got in, into beach volleyball much, but I just saw you guys play and, wow, you've made us so proud and I love it now. So that's kind of the messages you love to to read um, and, you know, that impact that you have. Because you're in that unique position now that as an Olympic medalist, obviously you've got that recognition, but you're also in that unique position that as an Australian, we have a home Olympics in 11 years, so you can obviously use that for power towards Brisbane. I mean, you've, you've got the Olympic medal now, the Commonwealth Games silver and all the atmosphere that was around the Gold Coast in 2018. I mean, if you can take anything from it, is that what you're going to take out of it to try and grow the sport and do whatever you can really on a similar level to when, say, Natalie Cook and Kerry Pothouse won in Sydney, they were able to use that and no doubt influence people like yourself to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, we're still both young, so we're aiming for that Brisbane 30 2032 Olympics for sure. I, like I mean, that. I want to hear that. <laughs> it would be a dream too. I've always actually, since um, the option of Brisbane hosting the Olympics came out, I've always said that would be my fifth Olympics and I would love to finish it at home, which would just be like the icing on the cake. So, um, yeah, I think it's epic that we can have another Olympics at home and inspire, you know, the next generation to get involved, have a go, play sport, um, because, yeah, it's it's just a massive, um, like, it's just so good to be a part of, a, you know, sport. I, I don't even, I, I've learned in the last few weeks not to ask any of the returning Olympians, oh, are you thinking of Paris because it comes to the fact of, no, just let me rest, let me rest. Whereas now I, I love this one, but oh, I'm thinking of Brisbane, like, you know, bugger Paris. Yeah. Like, you know, that's that's only my third games. I've still got, you know, more to go for Brisbane. So bugger that, Murray. If you can, 2036, 2040, keep going. 
<laughs> yeah, well, beach volleyball right now, I mean, the players are going till mid-40s. So, I mean, there's no reason why. And, there's, you know, as long as I'm still enjoying it and I'm still fit, healthy and strong to keep playing, um, I'll keep going. <laughs> Again, the bar is high in the Australian Olympic team. Andrew Hoy is winning medals at 62. So I'm just saying that it's, it's capable. I'm 34 <laughs> exactly. and I've never been to an Olympics. I'm, I've got my hopes held high. I've got another 28 years never to make an never. Olympic Games. Exactly. Never say exactly. never. <laughs> exactly. Now, Mary, before we let you go, obviously at the time recording this, you're in quarantine. You're, you're itching to get out. But what what is yeah. the one thing, besides the obvious, seeing family, friends and all that sort of stuff, is there one thing that since this whole journey to Tokyo, the, the whole lead up and now the quarantine, everything, that you were just absolutely itching at the bit to either do or kind of a food or something like that, that as soon as you're out, that you're <laughs> doing? Oh, definitely family first for me. I'm such a family girl and I've, I miss them so much every time I go away. You know, that's one of the hardest things um, to go through but as being an athlete, you know, all the travelling and spending time away from them. So I'm just, I just can't wait to get out and just spend some good quality time with them and really celebrate what we've all achieved because it's not just us who achieve this medal. It takes a village and there's so many people behind our team that, um, yeah, we'll be so keen to celebrate with. That, that medal is going to get a, put around a lot of people's necks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of go yeah. along that way. Uh, before we let you go, Mary, if, um, social media, where can people stay up to date with you, follow your sort of journey between now and Brisbane 2032 to kind of really yeah. keep uh, up to date? Yeah, I'm really active and I replied to um, everyone messaging me on my Instagram, um, MariaFay underscore Beach One. Um, I update quite a lot on my journey through there, so Give us a follow. Um, and I've also got my Marie Faye Beach Volleyball page on Facebook and Perfect. Twitter, Marie Faye ADS. <laughs> Perfect. Everybody hit it up. Uh, it has been an absolute yeah. pleasure to chat with you today to learn about this journey and everything else along those lines. And I'm, I'm looking forward. Yeah, I'm saying it. 2036, 2040, you'll be like a four-time Olympic gold medalist by then. So it'll work, it. it'll work a treat. Love <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> And a massive thanks there to Maria Faye there for her time. A lot of fun. Learnt a lot. And bring back the beebs. That's all I can say. Bring back the beebs. That's all we want. Get excited for our upcoming episodes. We have some great interviews. I'm sure if you've been following us and you've been listening to these interviews and seeing sort of our floating schedule, that because we're getting so many great interviews, we're obviously bringing more to you than we thought we were able to, which is fantastic. We're loving being able to bring you the frequency of these interviews. And we've got plenty more to come, plenty more to whet your appetite in regards to some big names. And we teased it during our Joanna Griggs interview, but our Chloe Esposito interview is so close we can taste it. So are you excited to hear from Queen Chloe? I'm excited to hear from Queen Chloe. I know you are. So stay tuned for that one because not only do we speak to an icon of Australian sport, we get our first taste, of course, of modern pentathlon, the sport that we put on the map. I'm saying right now, we got excited about it back in Rio. It's on the map now because of us. Let's be honest, you know it's true, but it's a sport 
that I absolutely love and I'm so excited to not only learn about it, but of course, speak to Queen Chloe. I mean, come on, everybody. We've got to be that excited to speak to maybe the one guest that we've talked up the most in terms of uh, Olympians and everything else over our uh, five or so year history. So stay tuned for that. Very, very excited. And of course, all of our other great interviews we've got lined up, not just summer athletes. Of course, winter athletes are still being spoken to in the lead up to Beijing as we get closer and closer to those games. So plenty out there to keep you entertained here and off the podium. And if you are entertained by the show, why not smash that like button on Facebook, follow us on Instagram or Twitter, stay up to date with what we are doing and you will never miss an episode, never miss an update. And of course, never miss an episode by subscribing to us on all the podcast servers. Maybe not all of them. You probably can just choose one. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio. I'm sure if you typed in off the podium into the Ethiopian number one podcast server, we would be on there. And as much as we'd like you to subscribe to us on all the different channels, I'm sure you probably don't need every single episode downloaded about 10 times. But hey, whatever floats your boat. But choose your favorite, choose whichever one you use, smash the subscribe button, and while you're there, leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you're thinking of the show. Give us a rating, and every little bit of that helps us get out there a little bit more so more and more people can enjoy these great interviews that we are putting out there, and we always appreciate all the support support that we can have from our listeners. Once again, a big, big thanks to Murray Ife for her time here on Off the Podium. Until we next speak again, my name is Ben. We will speak to you next time. Good night. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think so.